Josie DeVidio is a woman on a mission to explore the human experience. With a passion to bring entertaining and informative content to your ears, real talk, real people, this is Josieology. Hey friends, welcome back to the Josieology podcast. I'm your host, Josie DeVidio, and today we're talking about a subject that is the bane of many middle-aged women's existence menopause, and perimenopause. My guest today is Jen Harrington, a passionate naturopath who is no stranger to hormonal imbalance herself. Jen, welcome to the show. Hello, Josie. How wonderful to be here today. Thank you for joining me. You know, let's start off, Jen, uh, first by talking about what is a naturopath, because unless you live in California, which seems to have many of them, I'm not sure that my listeners in other parts of the country are as familiar with this. So can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Sure, absolutely. Now, there's a a couple of big differences between a naturopath and a doctor, and one being what we prescribe. So I do not prescribe pharmaceutical medication. Instead, I look for herbal medicine, nutrition, dietary changes, lifestyle changes. But the other big difference between seeing myself over a doctor is the time. We generally have a really long consults. We want to get to the root of the problem. We're not looking for a Band-Aid to minimize the the symptoms that you're having. We're looking to find the cause to provide a, a solution. In terms of schooling, is that similar to what a physician has to go through or what kind of um, studies lead you to become a licensed naturopath? Sure. Now, I'm from Australia. You can probably tell from my accent. So it's different in Australia than it is in the US. But I have a university degree, as is the same in the US, and I also have a postgraduate in hormonal health. In the US, I do believe that they do the same training as a GP except for a year. Don't quote me on that. But yes, it is a a university uh, qualified profession. Awesome. So as I was saying, we have many naturopaths in California, and I think they're starting to become more prevalent in other parts of our country. But like I said, some people, this is new to them. So I wanted to explain what that was. So you are well-versed in medicine, but I guess how we describe medicine in the US, but you're more inclined to utilize holistic approaches for treatments, correct? Absolutely. So today's topic is menopause and perimenopause because most of my listeners are women who are going to start experiencing those symptoms. So if you can walk us through perimenopause first, okay, what is it and at what age does this typically happen? So perimenopause is just the period of time before menopause. And it, I guess it really helps if we define what menopause is. Because menopause is actually a point in time that was 12 months after your last menstrual period. So the day after this is actually called postmenopause, and the period of time before this is perimenopause. And for some women, perimenopause can be a few years. For other women, it can be a decade. So it um, can be a short or a long period of time unless you've had a medical menopause because then it's, it's instant. But what I like about perimenopause is this gives us time to adapt 
to the hormonal changes that are occurring. So the only way women would know if they are in perimenopause is if they have a certain set of symptoms, I presume. Yes. um, Some women actually breeze through the entire transition symptom-free. How do they get so lucky? (laughs) Well, it's actually about 20% of the population in Western cultures will be symptomatic, 20% will be extreme, and the rest of us is somewhere in the middle. Got it. So how we're defining menopause specifically is that you are no longer menstruating. Yes. So the period of time before menopause would be perimenopause and the period of time after, well, I guess following 12 months is postmenopause. So we kind of have a misnomer in our culture that, you know, we're saying people are menopausal, but that doesn't really specifically designate anything because we have these other phrases for it. Absolutely. And I often actually talk about the menopausal transition so that it doesn't really matter where you are in the stage. If you're having symptoms, then you're still going through that transition. Got it. Can you talk to us a little bit about what those signs and symptoms are for the uh, 60% of women who are likely to have something? So the first thing that happens is our periods are no longer predictable. And what can change can be the bleed. It can be the bleed can get heavier, lighter, longer, shorter, different clottier, that kind of thing. And the length of your period can also change as well. You might have had a regular clockwork 28-day cycle, and now you might have a 22-day cycle one month, a 45-day cycle the next month. There's just not that predictability anymore. When your cycle changes, what is most likely to happen is that you're no longer ovulating. And when you don't ovulate, you don't get the progesterone production in the second half of your cycle. So the most common symptoms that I see are mood changes and sleep changes. And a lot of women don't put these signs and symptoms down to the early stages of perimenopause. They put them down to life, stress, other issues. Sure. So I'm sorry, can you repeat that again? Once you're not ovulating anymore, you're not making progesterone. Is that correct? That's right. And the progesterone is what is involved in helping you have more solid sleep? Yes. So also when you're not sleeping as well, some women find they're getting hotter at night. So they might have night sweats. And uh, during the day, they could have hot flushes. But these symptoms I tend to see not quite as early as some of the mood changes and the sleep changes. And with mood changes, it could be that you're quicker to tears or that you're triggered more easily, that there's that anger. Uh, that you tolerate fools less, or not that you ever tolerate fools well, but you don't tolerate them as well as you might have in the past. For a lot of us, we see on TV, you know, the stereotype or the caricature of what menopause is and what the process is as you go through it. And for many women my age, we're already showing these signs, like you said, but none of us can pinpoint it to that because we're expecting it to be, you know, really dramatic. And, and for some, like you said, 20% of us, it will be dramatic. And for 20% of us, we'll have nothing. And then the rest of us are left wondering, well, is this what's going on? Yep. You know, it reminds me of when I was about to give birth to my first son. And it turns out my water broke, but I didn't realize that because I just kept waking up going, why is everything wet? 
I was expecting it to be this like dramatic rush of water like they show in the movies. And, you know, it reminds me of that, that what we have seen or taken in or talk about culturally kind of colors what we're expecting to actually happen in reality. Definitely. And it's interesting that you talk about culture because menopause really is an issue of Western culture. That if you look at different traditions around the world, some languages don't even have a word for menopause or a word for hot flushes. That it really is, unfortunately, a a symptom of, of Western culture and Western lifestyle. That is really interesting. I wonder why that is. Do you think that our symptoms are exacerbated by the stress levels we have here? I think it's headspace. That if you think menopause is the beginning of the end, that's when you're going to shrivel up and die, then you're not expecting this to be a wonderful experience. But if we look at things like Chinese culture, they call it the second spring. It's actually something they look forward to. They step up in society. They have a major role contributing to the rest of their community. I I really think it's a combination of the stressful Western lifestyle, the poor diet, but also headspace. That's a really good point. I mean, for me, I would just chalk it up to one less thing to have to worry about. So I don't see why a lot of people get caught up in it being, like you said, the beginning of the end. For me, I'm looking forward to just being like, okay, I don't have to think about that anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you because <laughs> I'm, I'm perimenopausal myself and I love watching my friends and just watching a lot of them go through major transformations for the good. So it might be that they leave a career that isn't serving them to find something that fills their heart with joy. Or maybe they're leaving a toxic relationship or um, just starting a business or going back to uni and studying a subject that they've always been passionate about, but they've never done it. There's a phrase, it goes from, from we to me. So before this stage, we're too busy running around looking after our parents, our children, our husband. It's about everyone else. Right. And the menopausal transition is your opportunity to go in and focus on you. And what do you want out of life? And what's going to fill this next stage with as much joy and possibility as possible? Absolutely. Now, are there any tests that diagnose whether you're in menopause or perimenopause? No, it's it's really defined by 12 months after your last menstrual period. I do recommend testing, but I'm not really testing for menopause. I'm looking more at your body's functionality and how can I improve your health and well-being post-menopause. There's some common trends. Um, I'll give you some examples. So things like thyroid. One in 12 women perimenopause have thyroid conditions. One in six women postmenopause have thyroid conditions. So I'm looking more at functional testing. How is your thyroid coping? Do we need to provide additional support for your thyroid during this transition so you don't turn into the one in six that have a problem afterwards? That is just one example. Your liver function also reduces. So I want to see what's happening. And the liver function really is a catch-22 because when we stop ovulating and our ovaries no longer produce estrogen, other parts of our body start to pick up the slack. So your adrenal glands will produce some, your adipose tissue will produce some, and your liver will produce some. So if your liver's not functioning well, it's not going to produce as much estrogen for you postmenopausally. So I really want to make sure that you've got optimal function going on there to minimize symptoms and minimize additional 
health concerns later on in life. So is that the bottom line with therapies and treatment is that we're trying to minimize symptoms? Because what if we did nothing? What if we, you know, this was the natural process, we were going to stop menstruating and we didn't get involved and take any supplements or medicines. What would happen to our bodies if if left unattended? I've actually seen research that says it takes two years for your body to be symptom-free. So if you start experiencing symptoms, you do absolutely nothing the average woman would have whatever symptom picture they have because everyone's different. Like I might get night sweats, you might get hot flushes, somebody else might get migraines. Your body will self-correct on its own, but it's just your level of health after that. Not to mention who in your family survives your process, but what what I mean is... So the health concerns after you are done, after you're officially done and you're in the postmenopausal phase, what are the health concerns? Like you said, thyroid is one of them. But what does that mean? Like to a layperson, what does that mean? If, if once you're hormonally through menopause, why does that affect your thyroid? Estrogen is a very protective hormone. And I think maybe some of your listeners would be familiar with estrogen protecting your bones and how bone health and osteoporosis tends to be a bigger issue post-menopause. It's also protective for your heart. And I know that cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of women in the world. So um, we need to look at how we can protect our heart and our cardiovascular system, how we can protect and build strong bones. And yeah, I agree about the thyroid. Um, We also need to look at liver function. Estrogen is just very, very protective for the female body, which is why when we stop ovulating, the production doesn't stop. You don't end up with no hormones in postmenopause. You end up with lower levels of hormones, but also slightly different forms. So estradiol is the main form of estrogen during your fertile years, and estrone is the main form of estrogen after that. Basically, what it sounds like is we're trying to help alleviate symptoms And then as well, kind of promote longevity by addressing potential other problems that might occur. Is that correct? Absolutely. It's about putting quality in your years. When we come back, I'd like to get into what lifestyle factors we should consider at this stage of life and, you know, anything dietary wise that listeners can be doing to, you know, help their transition. Sure. Hey friends, thank you so much for listening to Josiology. If you're enjoying this episode and you haven't already, I would love it if you would subscribe to the show. You know, subscribing is free, so you might as well do it. Subscribing lets your phone automatically download new episodes when they get released. And that way you are ready to go wherever you may find yourself with some free time. If you're not sure how to subscribe, head on over to the Josiology Podcast Facebook page. I have videos there that will show you exactly how to do it. Of course, you can always reach out to me on email, which is josie at josiology.com, and it would be my pleasure to help you get subscribed. Thanks again for listening. So Jen, let's get into what listeners can be doing as we move into this transition, whether it's modifying lifestyle or changes in our diet, anything that can help us or support us through this transition. Stress management. Yeah. It can make or break a woman's experience. And it is 
a really stressful time. Like most of us are looking after aging parents and children, partners. We have financial concerns about what's going to happen in retirement. It's about looking at what stresses you and what you can actually change. If it's that you're doing too many things, (laughs) then stop doing so many things. There's things that you can't do or that you can't change. It's how do we use stress management tools to reduce its impact. So exercise has got to be one of the number one stress management tools, but exercise is so much more than that. It helps promote healthy mood. It helps to promote weight loss. There's lots of research saying that regular exercise reduces hot flushes. So if you're not an exerciser and you start it's probably going to trigger a couple of hot flushes or experiences of heat, but it's about the regularity actually reducing them. So exercise for so many reasons. Well, let me ask you a question then about exercise, because some people think that exercise looks a certain way. And I happen to know that you can take exercise to an extreme as well, which actually does the opposite. It is stressful to your body. It does the opposite of stress relief. I know a lot of women who are like, you know, all of a sudden there are these, um, you know, cycle bar spin class ladies, which I have done those classes. They are not easy. They're very hard classes. But I would argue that something like that, if you're not used to exercising, is a stressful pursuit in and of itself. So am I wrong in saying that? No, I absolutely agree with you. It's about starting where you are. If you're not someone that exercises, then you need to think about how you can add it. So it could just be a a 20 minute walk might be a, a fantastic start that gets your heart rate up and gets you feeling like you've had an exercise session, or it could be a swim. It could be a bike ride. And then stepping it up as you're ready. You don't need to start at the spin classes and CrossFit. And I'm not necessarily recommending you go there because we also need to look at how much damage are you going to do to your joints and what your potency to injury is going to be. It's about doing what you can do. And if you are the kind of person that done triathlons and whatnot, these classes are nothing. They're just maintenance for you. But for the average woman out there, that's going to be a, a massive big change. And I, I would step it up slowly. And even if it ends up being just a walk around the block most days, that's a great place to Absolutely. start. What about sleep? Because sleep, obviously, you know, it's kind of a vicious cycle. When you're stressed out, you can't sleep well, but you need to sleep well in order to have all your body systems functioning optimally. So uh, how do you troubleshoot that? We call it sleep hygiene. So what are you doing to prepare for sleep? Can you remember when you brought your baby home? Like what sort of things did you do that would signal the baby it's time to get ready for sleep? Maybe you had a hot bath. There was a certain routine. So I tell women to think about what their routine is. Could it be that you have dinner? You have a meaningful conversation, maybe go for a walk around the block or a shower. What things are triggering your body? And also lighting, that if you're in a really brightly lit house, this isn't signaling the body to prepare for sleep. We need to turn down the lights. So I tell a lot of women to go and buy some lamps so that they can change the lighting because lighting changes your melatonin production. So melatonin is your sleep hormone and it starts to rise as the lights go down or as the sun comes down. So sometimes it's even getting outside and watching the sunset can help to trigger melatonin. Also, you don't want blue lights. Like if you're watching TV before bed or if you're on your computer before bed, 
this is stimulating. It's producing cortisol. It's not producing melatonin. So there's some little things that you can change in your habits that can make a big difference. Yeah, I think that's important to uh, review because everyone who was going to hear this grew up with electricity, right? And so, (laughs) but that's not how we were designed to live. We were designed that when the sun came up, that's when we would wake up. And when the sun would set, that would be our time to retreat and rest. But, you know, because of electricity and we have lights on in our house, you know, we're messing up our circadian rhythm, our biorhythms that way. And so our brain is fighting us. You know, it's telling us we need to be sleeping, but we're forcing ourselves to stay awake. And even though we don't feel that way anymore, that's on the natural level of things, that's what's really happening. So I think that's important to remember. Your body knows what it's supposed to do. For some reason, we insist on fighting against it. But melatonin actually does more for you than just sleep. It is primarily the sleep hormone, but it's also restorative. It's such a strong antioxidant, which is another reason why sleep is so important because this is our time to restore and repair. There are a lot of people who take melatonin to help them sleep. Yep. Um, Can you speak a little bit about that? Sure. For some people, it is a life changer. You need sleep. And if you're not getting sleep, then this can be a means to an end. But for me, I want to look at everything. I want to take a holistic look. Is it because you're on your computer until the second before you go to bed? Or are you in bed on your computer? Yeah, I'll confess that's what I do. For sure, I'm on my computer in bed. (laughs) (laughs) So it's some of those little things that we can change that make a difference. But if you can't change them or if they're not making a difference, you need to sleep. Right. And I look at other things as well, like magnesium. Magnesium is such a beautiful, relaxing mineral that also benefits your sleep. It benefits your moods. It benefits your muscles. Anything that can be tight, it relaxes. (laughs) More relaxed, it's easier to get to sleep. And there's certainly lots and lots of beautiful herbal medicines that some of them help promote getting to sleep. Some of them help promote staying asleep. And vitamin B12 is also involved in sleep cycles people who take B vitamins, I've always Mm. heard that they should take them in the morning. Is that incorrect? Because doesn't it give some people like a a pep? Yes, absolutely. And when you're taking a a B complex, the morning is the best time to take it because you don't want that energy at night while you're trying to sleep. You want that extra energy during the day. But what you're saying is it is involved in the biochemical process of helping you get to sleep later in the day. Is that accurate? Absolutely. And some people that are really deficient in vitamin B12 take injections. And as an isolated nutrient, so you don't have the other energy producing B vitamins, sometimes this injection is at night. Got it. So we've spoken about supplements and sleep. What about food? Is there something you would recommend that we eat or avoid eating while we're going through this, you know, these perimenopausal symptoms? Yeah, absolutely. So I often talk about the benefits of including phytoestrogens in the diet. So phytoestrogens are plant-like foods that are similar shaped to estrogen and actually bind to your receptors and you get a weak estrogenic response from that. And these foods include uh, seeds like sesame seeds and flaxseed. They include nuts like almonds and walnuts. And they include legumes, so things like your chickpeas and kidney beans, lentils. And having a serving of these food daily in your diet can help promote 
the estrogenic effects in your body. When we're looking at things to avoid, I think sugar's got to be at the top of that list. Sugar is so pro-inflammatory, pro-disease forming. I know. Um, Anything that can go wrong, (laughs) sugar makes go wrong. Which is heartbreaking. I'm not going to lie. It tastes so good, doesn't it? (laughs) It's the devil's spice, the devil's condiment. That's what I call it. Yes. It just wreaks all kinds of trouble. But when your blood sugar is balanced, you don't crave it. Right. It's just when your blood sugars are imbalanced. And diabetes is another one of the diseases that is much higher postmenopausal than premenopausal. So now's a really good time to clean up your diet, clean up your act to promote longevity. Jen, what else can our listeners do that's quick to action? You know, something that they can start today to make this journey a little smoother for them. So we've talked about dietary changes, working on getting sleep. A lot of that takes a little bit of time to kind of wrap your mind around it and, you know, make it happen. But is there anything that is quicker to action that we can offer them? Well, we haven't spoken about environmental changes. And some of these are quick. Some of these are not so quick. What I'm looking at with environmental changes is how many xenoestrogens are you exposing yourself to? So xenoestrogens are toxic environmental estrogens. So similar to the phytoestrogens that they lock onto your receptors, but they don't produce a good response. They just block. Think of it as a clogged up drain. They're clogging up these receptors so your estrogen can't bind to it. So we want to clean them out of the diet. We want to clean them out of the body. And plastics is one of the number one xenoestrogens. So even if you went into your kitchen, a simple change could be getting rid of your plastic containers and buying glass containers, getting rid of your plastic cling wrap and replacing that with maybe beeswax containers. So if you've got your glass containers, putting the leftover food in these containers rather than just putting plastic wrap over the top of them, these can be some some simple changes just to reduce the amount of plastic in your kitchen. Stop drinking from plastic water bottles. Go and buy yourself a glass or a stainless steel water bottle. My one's a glass water bottle, but it's got a plastic coating on the outside. So if I drop it, it doesn't smash, but it's glass on the inside. Yeah, those are great tips. Thank you. I understand that you are working on a book on this topic. Oh, yes. It's called From Invisible to Invincible, The Natural Menopause Revolution. Excellent. And I know that you have a fantastic website. Um, So if you don't mind telling our listeners where they can get more information either about you or the services you provide or resources so they can learn more. So my website is menopausenaturalsolutions.com. It's full of resources. It's full of articles. I also have a podcast of the same name, Menopause Natural Solutions. Excellent. I have an online course called the Menopause Retreat. It's a, a membership where women can join and we talk about testing and results and how to change those results. We talk about nutrition. There are recipes and meal plans. We talk about lifestyle like exercise and sleep and environmental health. So you know what simple changes like ditching the plastic you can do to impact on your on your health. Are you hanging out on social media at all? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Karina, my office manager is convincing me I need to be on Instagram. So <laughs> What is your handle on Facebook? Menopause Natural Solutions. Our listeners can just click on their phone and see where you are on Instagram. 
I'm pretty sure it's menopause natural yeah, solutions. Yeah, perfect. I mean, that's ideal if you can make them all the same. Yeah. Jen, thank you so much for scheduling some time to chat with me today and to teach our listeners and get people thinking about it. And they can certainly reach out to you on your website to get more information or listeners are welcome to come hang out with me on the Josiology Podcast private Facebook group. And, uh, you know, but they need a password to get in there. So if you're listening to this and want to join us there and talk about this episode and ask questions there, the password to get in will be menopause. So feel free to join us there as well and catch Jen Harrington and Natural Menopause Solutions on all social media as well as her website. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to Josiology. Be sure to visit Josiology.com to access the show notes and discover fantastic bonus content. To join the conversation, Find us on Facebook or Instagram with username at Josiology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. 